I'm George Kaler, TeaWithGeorge.com, and today's session of Get Real is sponsored by the Kaler Group Wealth Management. If you're looking for ways to leverage, safeguard, and make profits on your wealth, give us a call, 434-455-7197. Today we're talking with Jonathan Emord. Is that correct, Jonathan Emord? That's correct. I'm so just so pleased to have you here. I just heard you speak to the Breakfast Club, and you're running against Tim Kaine. And I would say there were maybe 50, 60 people in the room there. And I saw Tim Kaine when he was running with Hillary. I think there were like three people who showed up to hear him. (laughs) (laughs) How appropriate. Okay, but you're a lot more interesting, and I think you'll be a fabulous senator. But I also read that Tim Kaine now has 7.7 million in his war chest to run against you. How are you going to beat that kind of stuff? Even if you're a fabulous candidate, which you are, and we're going to be talking about your platforms in just a second, how are you going to run against a guy that has 7.7 million already in the bank, most of it from the big, big money people who are interested in keeping him serving them? Yes, well, uh, money is always an issue and in politics, no question about it. We've had good fortune. I, I've had good fortune, so I'm largely financing my own campaign, which is a wonderful thing to be able to do uh, in this situation. I've had a good long career as a constitutional lawyer. In addition to that, we have a lot of support. So we have uh, support both in the state and outside of the state. About half of the money we've raised so far, it's close to $720,000, which is nothing compared to $20 million or $30 million we'll need in the general, has come from, half of that has come from those individuals who are interested in our, our campaign. So that, are, that have, many of them have the wherewithal to give a lot more and are interested in doing that. I had the good fortune of having, uh, listening to a program, actually it was recorded, this one, in Utah, and this person came in, it was a telethon, and we raised some $65,000 from that telethon, first political telethon, I think, in the country. And one of the people came in, who's uh, Dr. Paul Bar- Baratero, who's a very wealthy individual, and he announced on, the, on air uh, that he was going to give $1 million to the political super PAC that has endorsed me. There are also, there's a, a Dr. David Martin in Charlottesville who said, who's pledged $750,000 to the super PAC that endorses me. And then there is another individual who I can't name, but who has indicated to me that he intends on giving very large sums of money to the, to the PAC in the order of $100,000, $200,000 to the PAC. So that I have no control over the PAC. But nonetheless, I think that's indicative of the kind of support nationwide that we can generally expect as the campaign goes on. So uh, in the in the primaries, you've got no candidate who's brought in uh, more than a million, million, uh, one hundred thousand. Uh, most of the candidates have under three hundred thousand, I think. But we've had good fortune. We're in the zone of seven hundred, seven hundred twenty thousand now, and I think we'll have close to a million or more in the next couple of months. In the general, once you're selected, people from all over the country contribute. Now George Soros backs Tim Kaine. And so does Alex Soros. Oh, you hit a raw nerve with me right there. I ran a company in Germany during the 80s, and I grew to fear and hate George Soros. He he ruined entire economies of countries in currency manipulation. And then when I returned to the United States in 87, 
doggone if he didn't come to the United States. I don't think it was just to bug me, but here he is in his 90s, still in a sense just as bad, but they are funding every anti-American thing I can think of. And so you've got him pretty much running against you. Yes, he's running against me. That's certainly true. And people need to understand that where Tim Kaine's money is coming from. Yeah, it's where, not coming from people like us. Let's it is put it not. that way. And so while ours is a grassroots campaign, clearly, as you mentioned, uh, we have a room filled with people, and he has three people, even though he's there with Hillary Clinton. That's because that's not what he's about. He's not really about representing the interests of Virginia. He's about this far-left agenda, which he has voted for consistently. And because he's in the pocketbook of George Soros and Alex Soros, he's he he basically is dancing to their tune. And people need to understand that. When he ran for mayor of Richmond, he was one of the first politicians in the United States to receive money from George Soros directly. And at that time, 23 years ago or so, he was running a local office, mayor of Richmond, and he got $50,000 from George Soros. He, uh, If you go to Soros' Instagram page to this day, and you scroll down, you'll see a picture of Tim Kaine and Alex Soros standing next to one another. And this is Alex Soros' Instagram and Alex writes under that, I love this man. And it, the relationship is strong and powerful and deeply unsettling for anyone who loves this country because as anyone who loves this country knows who looks into it, George Soros wants to destroy our country. He wants open borders, defunding the police, and he also wants anti-incarceration prosecutors. And he has succeeded because the Democrat Party has helped him, but also principally because... Tim Kaine has been his advocate behind the scenes, pushing for his agenda. You will never see a bill from Tim Kaine that will do anything to close the borders. You will never see a bill from Tim Kaine that will do anything to stop the defund the police movement. You will see no bill from Tim Kaine that has anything at all to do with stopping the anti-incarceration prosecutors from violating their oaths and and leaving uh, criminals on the streets. And the reason is he's bought and sold by the Soros family. Uh, you hit on another sore spot this morning, too, when you spoke, and that is the January 6th political prisoners. I was in Washington that day, a group from my church, and I went up to pray for the country and, quite frankly, to protest the anomalies of the 2020 election. We went to the January 6th event, and I heard Mr. Trump clearly say, go and peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Now he's being tried for insurrection. And they changed the word protest to insurrection. One magic little word change, and there's hundreds of people rotting in the federal gulag. What are you going to do about America's first, I believe it's their very first, political prisoners that are just kept under horrendous conditions? What are you doing about that? So as United States Senator for Virginia, I'll introduce legislation to grant immediate release and amnesty to those who are incarcerated on J6th with the exception of those for whom there is direct evidence, and I do mean direct evidence, of assault on police or destruction of property. And that is a universe that is extremely small. There have been over 1,200 people arrested for January 6th, and most of them really no evidence to support anything other than the possible charge of, of trespass. But in those instances of trespass, you have to understand The long history of the Capitol Police in Washington is not to incarcerate or arrest for criminal trespass, but simply to 
really slap someone on the wrist and let them go. And in this instance, I mean, we just saw a Palestinian group, large numbers, occupy the Hart Senate office building. That's criminal trespass. Not a single one of them was incarcerated. Certainly none of them was put in solitary confinement. And what we have now is a political prisoner environment. We have political prisoners in the United States. Yes, we do. And they are the J6ers, and they are being persecuted unjustly. And to use language that Comey used in another context, no reasonable prosecutor would pursue an action against those people for criminal trespass at the worst, and they are nonetheless being incarcerated and put in jail. In fact, the uh, United States Attorney for the District of Columbia announced that he's going to expand the scope of arrests and prosecutions to reach individuals who are on the Capitol grounds, not who entered the Capitol. And so there'll be likely hundreds of more arrests. This is a hatchet job by the Biden administration against its political opponents. This is an abuse of power, prosecutorial power, in a two-tiered system of justice where individuals who stand up for America, and these people came to protest, not to cause an insurrection. You know the meaning of the word insurrection in the Constitution? The meaning of the word insurrection in the Constitution they're prosecuting President Trump on is completely different from what they're arguing it, it means. Insurrection and rebellion in the Constitution requires the taking up of arms against the United States. That's how the Founding Fathers understood those terms. Recognize, too, that you cause the uh, 14th Amendment, Section 3, to conflict with the First Amendment when you interpret the, the Third Section so broadly that insurrection and rebellion embraces protest, free speech. These individuals who are arguing against the integrity, the absence of integrity of the election are protesting. They have an absolute right to do that. They have an absolute right to verbally protest and argue against it. What they don't have a right to do is to assault police or destroy property. But they have a right to have their voices heard. And by what, what the Biden administration and this Justice Department is doing is very clear. They're trying to punish those who are political opponents and that they've expanded this into the zone of the First Amendment. They're depriving people of their right to protest. These are political prisoners, and they, they're entitled to justice. And so I will make sure that the first thing I do when I'm in office is introduce that legislation to grant amnesty and immediate release to every single one of those J6ers, with the exception of those for whom there is direct evidence of a destruction of property or an assault on police. When I was there, I was looking at what was going on up there with my field glasses. I was on the other side of the reflecting pond, but I could see pretty well. And it didn't seem too bad. The police were inviting them in, and all of a sudden they were throwing stun grenades down into the crowd and shooting them with plastic bullets. Well, at the moment I thought, don't they have any clue about crowd control? You don't take a crowd and shoot them with plastic bullets and throw stun grenades into them. It's like sticking a, putting a stick into a hornet's nest. You're going to stir them up. Also, there were professional provocateurs there, including FBI plants. A girlfriend of mine that was there, well, girlfriend, she's 77, disappeared for a while. And I said, Renee, where were you? And she said, I was over at the Capitol steps. They invited me in. And it's a trap, George. Don't go over there. I said, who invited you in? She said, Antifa. Antifa's working. Yeah, they had on mega caps, but you could tell. And I asked one of them, are you Antifa? And he said, yes. What are you doing here? 45 bucks an hour. What are you making? And he just was laughing it off that he was there professionally, hired by the deep state, so to speak, to bring people in 
to create the what happened in there. And the crowd control, as I mentioned, it was really bad, too. And then Ashley Babbitt, unarmed and shot point blank and with no warning. And the guy who did it is running free and even got some sort of a commendation for stopping horrendous violence. Well, the only violence there in that case was his. Did you, We talked this morning a little bit about digital currency. Are you for it or again it? I'm again a central digital banking currency for sure. And the reason why I'm again it is that this is a means by which the federal government can gain total control over American citizens' lives. When you have a, you give the government the power to know every transaction you make, every financial transaction you make will be instantaneously communicated to the government if you have a central digital banking currency. And that enables the government to determine, as they are advocates of ESG right now, be able to determine who is engaged in political activity and support that they favor of and who is in opposition to it. Those who are, and this is the Chinese method. I mean, this, what they're doing is really a system China has perfected in uh, creating a social score for each person that will determine their ability to get loans, their ability to go on public transportation, their ability to attend events, your ability even to go to the grocery store. I mean, ultimately, they can tie this in and, and tend to with control over your medical history. So, for example, you, you are a person who has been identified as one who has not got the vaccine. I mean, that can be apparent both through, through financial information and also through uh, medical histories, which they also want to digitize so that they have instantaneous access to your medical history. These things violate our rights when we give government that power. So what will I do? I'll introduce legislation that will make it impossible for the government to have a central digital banking currency, while at the same time promoting private banking. We need private uh, digital currency, and we need to expand the private markets for that. We don't want to stop the evolution of digital banking and private digital banking. We want to stop centralized government banking and control over the economy and over individuals. The difference between sort of like an expansion of the Federal Reserve into individual control. So you have Federal Reserve, which is controlling the money supply now and is doing so in really harmful ways to the economy and to all of our finances nationwide. And that control is basically expanded to the nth degree all the way down to each consumer when you have central digital banking currency. And so we, we cannot allow that to happen. Our freedom is dependent upon, in part, our freedom of commerce. We, we should not be second-guessed by anyone, lenders, insurers, others, for our choice of political alignment, for our choice of expending money in a, in a particular way, or for our choice of medical freedom. If we choose not to follow the altgeist or whatever of the federal government on it, that's our choice. After all, it's our own lives that we're talking about. Yes, freedom hinges upon protection of our rights and our freedoms and extends to our use of our own resources. Jefferson put it this way. This is the definition of good government according to Thomas Jefferson. He said, A wise and frugal government shall restrain men from injuring one another, shall leave them otherwise free to regulate their own pursuits of industry and improvement, and shall not take from the mouth of labor the bread it has earned. He said, This is the sum of good government. And it was the sum of good government in the 18th century when he wrote those words in his inaugural address, and it is the sum of good government today. You mentioned people who didn't get the vaccination. In my business, I'm a money manager 
and I also arranged very large life insurance policies for rich people. And I was in on a conversation with actuaries on the vaccinations and the death rates. The main insurance buying public is ages 30 to 60. And the extraordinary increased mortality rate among those that have been vaccinated. So the insurance industry right now is wondering, what do we do? I mean, the government mandated these vaccines, and yet people are dying from them, and it's affecting our bottom line. One big company, 144% increase in mortality in that age rate, destroying their bottom line. So how are they going to charge people more who have been vaccinated? It's a lot easier charging smokers more. But vaccinated, what are they going to do? So this whole thing is a real mess. You're talking about the Federal Reserve. and the, I have a good friend. His name is Frank Landry, a historian. And he, he did an extraordinarily great study on the Federal Reserve, the global money moguls, how we got into this mess. You can actually find it there. Uh, he wrote a book called Diabolical Deeds. I'm not sure if I if I would have titled the book that I maybe something different, but if you want to listen to a, a great history on the Federal Reserve and how we got to where we are, the border, what a mess! Last weekend, a friend of mine said, "George, please pray for my family. We lost our grandson. He died of a fentanyl." And another good friend of mine, a few months ago, his son died of fentanyl. You mentioned this morning. How many people a year are now dying from fentanyl that's coming over the border? 130,000 last year. It's it's expected to increase by as much as 60% this year when all the statistics are in. This is a major, major problem. And the government of the United States, rather than fighting against it, is facilitating and promoting the, the introduction of illegal drugs into this country. And you say, how is that possible? Well, they actually are doing this by enabling drug traffickers, sex traffickers, and others to come into this country who mean to destroy it. This is a plan, the open borders policy of Biden and Kane is a planned destruction of the United States. It is part of what Schumer has called transformational change, transforming us from vestiges of a, a republic to a country that is really a communist state, destroying the, the whole infrastructure of our nation. And uh, they're doing it with impunity and they are not being held to account. Alejandro Mayorkas should be impeached. The President of the United States needs to answer for all of the destruction of property, lives, ruination of people's lives, not only from fentanyl, but from the sex trafficking and the drug trafficking otherwise. He has facilitated all of that. His legacy, Biden's legacy, when all the history is done truthfully, that's a good question, well, it will be done truthfully, but if it is done truthfully, it will recognize Joe Biden not only as one of the most corrupt presidents ever to occupy the, the Oval Office, but also as one who abandoned the United States, abandoned his role under Article II as commander-in-chief, and abandoned his duty to make sure that the laws are faithfully executed by avoiding any enforcement of the immigration laws to the extraordinary detriment, loss of life, and ruination of the United States of America. His legacy is our destruction. I uh, I believe that. I saw the movie The Sound of Freedom. Have you seen it? I have. Heartbreaking. Just and people don't know just how large the child trafficking business is. It's in the billions. If it were listed on the stock exchange, it would be perhaps in the top five hundred corporations in America. 
and it's facilitated by the illegal immigrants coming in. A girl that I know from our church, very, very sweet woman, she was saying how Christians should support the entry of all people who want to come into the United States. And my thought was, what about the cost of that? Christians aren't paying that voluntarily. Nobody's paying for it voluntarily. It's being taxed. Also, are Christians in favor of fentanyl deaths, child trafficking? I think we just have our—you get feelings mixed up with good law. We have about seven minutes left here, and what I'd like you to do—I I already know I'm in your camp. <laughs> you're, you're my guy. You, to be my United States senator representing me in Virginia here. This is going to be heard from people, by people around the country. So what can people do, around the country do— to help you get elected? I mean, a lot of them can't. We're mainly west of the Mississippi, uh, this show. How are they going to help you get into the United States Senate? Because that will affect their lives, even if they can't vote for you. What do we do? Uh, Certainly donating to the campaign is enormously helpful and indispensable. We mentioned at the start of the uh, program that Tim Kaine has all access to this Soros money, and the Democrat Party does as well. He's going to have tens of millions of dollars we're operating a grassroots campaign, and every donation makes a huge difference. We're relying on numbers. He's relying on one person. So if you can donate uh, to the campaign, that's great. You can go to emord, E-M-O-R-D, for VA.com, and go to the Donate button, and there, make a donation. In, in addition, if you have Virginia friends, relatives, associates, tell them about this broadcast. Tell them about this campaign to save America and have them go to the website to emord4va.com. There you'll find all the information about my campaign, about my position on the issues. I'm very frank about what I'll do. And people have told me, you know, it's funny, the common political advice, which I'm not a politician, so I'm not really very susceptible to it, but I was told right from the start, uh, Jonathan, you're too specific. You give too much detail. You tell people exactly what you want to do. What you really need to do is to speak in more general terms. And I said, no, I I won't. I will give people exactly what I'm going to do because they need to understand that there is a way to save this country. And they need to understand that that way depends upon a sophisticated answer to a, a, a question. However, I appreciate that no one wants to listen to me speak all day long. But I do understand this. When you vote for someone, you need to understand what they're actually going to do. You need to understand whether they can do it, whether they have the wherewithal and ability. We don't need to hire someone to be a United States senator with our vote and have them have on-the-job training. They can be nice people, but they have to know what they're doing. I've drafted legislation. I wrote the precursor to the Right to Try bill that President Trump signed into law, numerous other pieces of legislation for Ron Paul, who's endorsed me. And I've had a long career of fighting the bureaucracy and understand intimately how the bureaucracy works where all the problems are in, in advancing this communist agenda through the bureaucracy, and how to dismantle it, having defeated it eight times on constitutional grounds in federal court, which is, a, in the case of the FDA, it's a record for an individual. I know how to beat it. That's what we really need. I'm tired, as I think most people are, of politicians that speak platitudes, get into office, and don't do anything. I don't want to stay there in the swamp. The last thing in the world I want to do is spend the rest of my days in the swamp. But I want to get in there and change the direction of our country and save it if I possibly can. 
And if that's if that's something that the Lord will will enable me to do, and I think the Lord wants us all to do this. I think America truly is a divine nation. I think the constitution of this country is unique in all the history of the world. So if we don't save this, really, we do lose, as Lincoln's terms, the last best hope for freedom on earth. Where do you go when America is no longer America, when our country no longer defends your liberty? Where do you go? Ask yourself that question. There's no country on earth that has the freedoms that we have, and they are attacking them and destroying them in favor of an agenda that has been proven to fail everywhere else on earth, and yet they're bringing it here as the answer, and it's not the answer. Communism is the ruination of every country that has adopted it, and it's the ruination not of the leaders. They do fabulously well. It's the total destruction of the people, and they get to be slaves. Do you want to be a slave? Well, sign up for communism. You want to be free? Then let's get the constitutional republic back that the Founding Fathers created for us. That's a constitution of freedom, and it works. Yeah, under communism, I traveled a lot when I ran a company in Germany, and and I had occasion to go into several communist countries, and the misery there was extraordinary, except among the central party. And communism, in fact, socialism as well, is a way to concentrate an extraordinary large amount of wealth and power into the hands of the fewest number of people. Incredibly few people run things in a socialist or a communist uh, economy. Well, we're wrapping this up now. How old are you, Jonathan? 63. 63. So this isn't really about you. No. <laughs> and here I am on the radio, 80 years old and still trying to save this country. It's not about me either. It's, this seems to be our, about our children and yeah. our grandchildren. What kind of a world are we going to give them? So you have the last word. Well, your words uh, are meaningful to me. And remember the line from Marx, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. The neediest in the communist regime apparently are those who rule it. They're neediest because it's from each individual to them. And, you know, Margaret Thatcher, I think, put it best that the problem with socialism is that eventually you run out of other people's money. I love that woman. And uh, she, she said, uh, if you look into Margaret Thatcher's statements, she's brilliant. She has over 100 different statements that she made about socialism and communism. Each one is a gem. That one, which I mentioned, is probably one of her most famous. I just wish for my country, for my people in this state and for the whole country and for my children and for everyone else's children that freedom once again will be the hallmark of America, that we will look to America once again as that John Winthrop's shining city upon a hill, a beacon of light for a world in darkness. We distinguished ourselves in the history of the world as being the advocates of liberty, as being a place where you could go as a refuge from all of the, the persecution of governments worldwide. You could come here and expect freedom. Not that you had a right to be here, you had to legally be here. If you did legally come to this country, you could expect the blessings of liberty. And with that note, I urge all of you to go to emord 4 va F-O-R-V-A.com. Dot com. Okay. And support this good man. Thank you so much for listening to us today. May God bless your week.